This is Pankanori. The following is unedited, recorded in one take and completely improvised. Season 1, Chapter 3, Needles. Oscar stood in his small porch, one and a half metres square, and donned his overcoat. He remembers having the porch built. He was the first person down his terrace road to have such thing done. He was very proud. The neighbours would come past and make jokey comments, but really he knew deep down there was an envy there. He enjoyed that. He put on his overcoat and set off down the road, walking across the town where he was born, where he lived, and he would ultimately die on his way to 75 Suffolk Street. The town he lived in was as unremarkable as they come, down on its luck, but he often questioned if it ever had any luck in the first place. It wasn't like one of those one industry towns that got shut down like Nottingham with the lace, Sheffield with the steel, Northampton with the shoes, or Luton with the hats. The town in which he lived was pretty much a lay-by between much more significant towns where houses popped up and people just stayed there because they had so little ambition to move anywhere else. He walked down the streets he played on as a child. They were cobbled then. Now they were in the cheapest of tarmacs. Nothing ever changed in the town. The only thing he remembers was a sports centre was built in the early 80s. Two squash courts, a five-a-side stroke basketball court, a bar and an indoor bowls rink. That was about it. Nothing else had changed. Everywhere else changed. Everywhere else got out-of-town retail parks. Centres for entertainment with cinemas, restaurants, chains, of course. But not where he grew up, where he lived and where he will die. It just existed, as did he. He turned into Suffolk Street, one of the most pretentious streets in the town. If there was a millionaire's row, it would be here, although the houses cost much, much less than a million, a fraction in fact. There were trees that lined the street, the road was wider, and it had those pretentious square-edged larger flagstone curbs. Everywhere else in the town had the black tarmac into the small rounded bullnose curbs, the cheapest of curbs, but here they were the mottled squarer ones that look akin to Rivita. Who do these people think they are, he said. He went down the street, taking good careful note of the numbers, and arrived outside number 75. The garden was large, but overgrown. It had a huge stone bay window, and the front door was larger than most. An ostentatious wooden front door, with a plate glass panel crescent in the top. The door was painted gloss black, with brass fixtures. He knocked. He heard the noise, but no one answered for too long. All of a sudden, the door creaked open, and there stood a woman of a similar age to Oscar. Can I help you? She said. I'm looking for this man, said Oscar, and he held up one of the pictures, the best picture he had of Albert, but again, his face slightly obscured. The woman's eyes widened. She looked in shock. She stepped out onto the step, almost closing the door behind her, making sure not to close herself out. 
Who are you? She said. My name's Oscar, said Oscar, and I'm looking for this man. How do you know him? She said. My wife recently died. I'm sorry, she said. Don't be, he said. I found some correspondence that leads me to believe my wife was having a long-term affair with this man. Do you know who he is? You better come in, she said. They went inside. The house was well-appointed yet dated. All the fixtures and fittings and decorations were very classic and classy, but in need of a fresh lick of paint and a good dusting. He could hear a noise in the room behind the room where they sat, the drawing room. Are you here alone? said Oscar. No, my husband's through there, she said. Oh, so this man isn't your husband? Shh, she said. No, I used to wish he was, but now I realise what a lucky escape that was. And your husband? You're okay to talk in front of him? Oh, he's completely out of it, she said. He's on his last legs with emphysema. He's through there on oxygen. Oh dear, I'm sorry, said Oscar. Don't be, she said. It was his own fault. Smoked like a chimney for years and years and years. Oh, I understand, said Oscar, but it's still. She said no. The worst thing is, he was a general practitioner. Here, the doctor. Forty-five years he smoked. Dunhills. He even prescribed them back in the day. But back then, the, the tobacco companies told doctors that not actually were the cigarettes not bad for you, they were actually good for you. Hmm. Oscar sat quietly and looked up at a porcelain donkey on the mantelpiece. Anyway, she said, how do you know Stan? Stan, said Oscar. I thought his name was Albert. Right, that's the name he used with your wife, is it? What do you mean, said Oscar. Stanley is a serial philanderer. His thing was he would find lonely wives and prey on them. Prey on them? Financially, sexually. He's not a good guy, she said. No, I gathered that, said Oscar. Have you got any photographs of him? None of mine are very conclusive and I really do want to track him down. One second, she said. And as she went upstairs, Oscar stood up and went over to the door to the room where her husband lay and poked his head through the crack. A man lay there, two oxygen tanks like soda stream bottles connected to him up his nostrils. His eyes closed. He looked grey, frail and gaunt. He heard her coming back downstairs. He went and sat back over. This is us, she said. And there was a picture of her with the Stanley, as he now found out his name to be. And he noticed something. On her cheek was a purple bite mark, a perfect circle. That mark on your cheek, he said. Yes? What's that? She touched her cheek. Oh, that's a bite mark. Stanley did that. I got so used to covering up with makeup, I do it now automatically. My wife has the exact same bite mark on her cheek, said Oscar. Yeah, no doubt. That's how he brands us. Brands you? His harem. Every woman that he's been inside is branded. I remember once I was in the supermarket. You know, it's, it's co-op now. It used to be budgeons. Yes, I know it, said Oscar. Well, once I was there and I looked at the checkout girl. And there, on her cheek, was a bite mark, still purple. I've covered mine up for so many years, I've got used to it, but it was always there. My wife told me that one of the children, she used to be a teacher, he said, bit her. One of the children bit her? Yeah, 
I came back from one of my trips abroad, and there was the bite mark. She said her child had bitten her and been expelled, sent to a special school. No, that's Stanley, she said. Where is he now? said Oscar. I have an address. You have? Yes, I send him money. You send him money? Yes. It was one of our agreements. He threatened to leave and never see me again. Even after he'd bitten me, after everything he'd done, and the thought of not seeing him again was terrible. So I sent him money. And every now and then he'd send me a new address and I would send him money. And I'm still doing it now. Why on earth would you do that? said Oscar. If I stopped sending him money, then he'd just become a memory. At least he's current in my life. What did you see in him? What didn't I see in him? The only thing I didn't see in him was compassion and empathy. Sounds awful, said Oscar. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief. Most women need this. My husband was so busy, I never saw him. Stanley was an animal. In more ways than one. All lizard brain. I knew he was using me. I knew he didn't respect me. But I was like a moth to a flame. And eventually, we all get burnt. Have you got children? said Oscar. A daughter, estranged, she said. Is she Stanley's? I don't know. I never wanted to find out. She has got some qualities, the same as Stanley, but ironically, all the qualities I admire in Stanley, I couldn't bear to see in her, so I never wanted to find out. Anyway, she hasn't had everything her own way. She had a very rough start in life. How so? said Oscar. Well, back then, I had terrible morning sickness, luckily just towards the end of my pregnancy, and my husband gave me some thalidomide. Not enough to deform her, just she'd lost a bit of dexterity in her hands. We never even told her. We thought it best not to. She struggled through life and we thought it was best if we didn't give her an excuse. We thought if she had to overcome her shortcomings, it would be good for her character. But we always butted heads. And we butted heads recently about a very important issue. And I said some things I didn't mean. And I haven't seen her since. I understand. Anyway, have you got an address? Here it is, she said. He looked down at the crumpled piece of paper in her hand. A piece of paper he could tell she'd seen and mulled and looked at millions, and, if not trillions of times. I don't know if it's such a good idea, said Oscar. What do you mean, she said. Maybe some things are best left undiscovered. You might be right, she said. Anyway, I've got to go now. The help's coming, and if they want, want, they want to know who this strange man is in my house, I can't look after my husband, I just haven't got it in me. I was the same, said Oscar. Oscar walked home, and as he walked home, he walked past the bank. He never took attention of his own finances, that was something his wife did. Agnes was very good with bills and also quite secretive. He did start to wonder, though. Wonder, wonder if she had been sending money to Stanley also. He went inside the bank, unaware of how it worked. A man at the inside the door met him. Hello, sir, how can I help you? Would you like to make a deposit? You can use our machine if you'd like. Uh, I don't have any identification on me. All right, what is I can help you with today? Uh, well, I was wondering... 
if I could just sort of maybe have a look at my... All of a sudden, a young couple burst in. A tall, dirty man with a ponytail and a short old girl with ginger-dyed hair. Both of them had scabs on their faces and dirty tracksuit bottoms. He had never seen such a couple of wretches in his life. Listen, mate, sorry to butt in, said the tall man. Listen, we need to get some money out. Why? We haven't got a car. I need some money. I need to get some money out. Whoa, 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 said the man. I'm dealing with this other customer. It's okay, said Oscar, and he took a step back. Listen, we've just come here on the train. We definitely need some money. We just got here, and I rang up the bank, and they said that your personal bank is closed at two. That's correct. Well, that's ridiculous. It's Friday. How can you close on the two? We will need money for the weekend. Whoa, 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 whoa. Have you got any cards on you at all? Uh, have you got any cards on you, babe? The woman, I'm speaking, started rifling through her bag. The two were very, very agitated. Oscar went and sat on a poorly upholstered waiting bench that he saw over near a hand sanitizer station. The two argued and argued and argued and looked distraught. The girl was throwing her hands up in the air. The man was on his mobile phone speaking to someone, asking whoever it was on the other end to hold on and things were going to take a bit longer than expected if he was ever going to be able to get the money at all. The two went outside. The personal banker came over, rolled his eyes. I'm sorry about that. We sometimes get them in here. There's nothing we can do. Don't mention it, said Oscar. And preoccupied, he stood and walked outside. Hello? said Oscar. The couple turned round. Yeah, what? How much money do you need? The girl started to say, about 50, 60 quid, said the man buttoning. in. We need 60 quid, why? How about this, said Oscar. I'll give you 100 pounds for whatever you need it for. Right, said the man. But in return, I want you to let me fart on her head. What? said the woman. Yeah, what? said the bloke. It's up to you, said Oscar. I'll give you a hundred pounds, but in return, I want to fart on your girlfriend's head. Don't be, you fucking sort him out, Darren. This is absolutely disgusting. But Darren's face was transfixed, looking at Oscar. He turned around between the two with his back to Oscar face, his girlfriend. What do you think, babe? What do you mean, what do I think? What are you talking about? You knock him out. What's he doing, dirty old man? Yeah, here's a hundred pounds, babe. You know we're not going to get it any other way. And look, you know if he wanted to hurt you or have sex or anything like that, I would knock him out. You know I'd protect you, babe. I love you more than anything, but... You know, just a little... What is it, a little bit of gas on your head? Why not? I can't believe you're saying this. What do you mean? I love you. I would never let... I know you'd never let anybody do it to me, babe. And I wouldn't normally you, but... Time's ticking. If we don't get this money soon, it's, we're, we're not going to get any. Darren turned around, looked at Oscar. Just want to... Fart on her head, yeah? Yeah, that's it, said Oscar. What, bear or... No, through my trousers. We'll go round the back to the car park and I want to fart on her head. You take your hundred pounds and you knock yourselves out. The man looked at his girlfriend. She looked at him. She looked at her feet. All right, deal. Oscar went back inside and went up to the teller. Hello, I'd like to make a withdrawal, please. Certainly, sir. He handed over his card and his details. He withdrew everything he had. £11,000, £746 and 86p. She put it in an envelope and he walked outside. Come on, let's go. He walked round the back with the lady. They stood in the car park 
in a secluded corner near some bushes. I wasn't always this desperate, you know, she said. Well, I'm sure. She said, and Darren's not a bad man. He's actually quite a nice guy, really. I can't believe he's letting me do this, but he knows that you wouldn't hurt me, otherwise he wouldn't allow it, and and, and I wouldn't allow it either, you know. I'm, I'm not an animal. I'm sure you're not, said Oscar. How did you end up here, he said. What do you mean? He said, why are you here? Taking money off a stranger for such a demeaning thing. I haven't got anywhere else to go, she said. It's funny life. You draw lines in your head. You make ultimatums with yourself. I'm never speaking to that person again. My parents hate me. I'm leaving. I'm never turning back. And then there are moments in your life where you know you should turn back. But you just can't because you've made a deal with yourself. And if you go back on that deal, you'd let yourself down. But you end up doing far, far much worse things letting yourself down. Where are your parents? He said. I don't talk about them, she said. All I have, my parents, all they did was work. My parents were loaded with so much money and they gave me everything except one thing. I wanted a pony. You ended up destitute and out here like this because you weren't bought a pony. It wasn't the pony, you fool. It wasn't the material thing. There was no love. I remember I spent one summer holidays. I hid it from my mother. All I wanted was a pony, so I embroidered a pony. I wasn't very good at needlework, and I tried, and I tried, and I made this diet. I put my heart and soul into it. I got the felt, I cut it. I cut out different layers of felt, and I stitched and stitched and stitched, and I made this pony. And then at the end of the school holidays, when it was finished, I'd spent hours and hours and hours on it. I said, Mummy, I love you, I made you this. And she took one look at it. Dispassionately, she looked at me and said, The eyes aren't symmetrical. I never saw it again. Oscar touched his stomach. I'm ready, he said. The woman looked at him, bowed her head, and then bent at the waist, lowering her head to waist height. After he'd been to the bank, Oscar stopped at a dealership. One of those young, annoying boys in the shiny shoes came up. Hello, sir, how can I help you today? I'm looking for a people carrier, or a camper van, he said. Something I can sleep in. Sure, how about this Volkswagen Turan? Come and have a look. He walked over, and the two started looking round. The young boy started firing off facts about the particular used car they were staring at. Low mileage, FSH, aircon, alloy road wheels, sunroof. Would you like to look inside? Yes, said Oscar. They opened the door, and Oscar sat in the driver's seat. The salesman sat in the passenger seat. They shut the doors. Yes, very good car, very reliable Volkswagens, you can't go wrong, there's a lot of life left in this yet. The car dealer stopped in his tracks. He looked panicked. Why? Oscar looked at him. Are you okay? There's just a wasp in here, said the car dealer. And as Oscar looked, there inside the windscreen was indeed a yellow jacket wasp. Buzzing around, he could hear the bristles hitting the inside of the windscreen. The car dealer opened the door and jumped out. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't get in there. Oh, God. Dave, 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 have you got, got any fly spray? Oscar noticed how strange it was. How human beings freak out at the sight of a wasp. Yet completely nonplussed and their heart won't race a beat at all if they see a mosquito. Whereas wasps are relatively harmless. But mosquitoes have killed more human beings than any other animal on the planet. 
He mused that this was a bit like social media that the kids are obsessed with. There'd be two tribes on the Serengeti, one tribe 80 miles away from the other, both within Dunbar's number and neither aware of each other's existence, without having the wherewithal to be able to travel to each other and become accustomed to each other and be incrementally used to each other's different cellular makeup and DNA. A mosquito would plunge the blood from one of the tribes, somehow make it the 80 miles, plunge his nose into another man and kill him. He noticed this was like Twitter. The mos- twi- a tweet is like a mosquito carrying these poisonous ideas that you're not used to, ideas that you haven't had the chance to become immune to. He looked at the wasp and had a flashback to when he was a young boy, back in the 40s. His granddad was a bear of a man, the kind of man that came home from work, he worked as an engineer, would have a cup of tea, a couple of cigarettes, and then go straight out to his workshop and work all evening for free. He used to make scale models of steam engines, and in there he would sit, having an ice lolly, and watching his granddad machining things from flat metal, using a lathe, a welder, manly things. There, one summer, he remembers his granddad looked at him, and he too was frozen in fear from a wasp. Don't worry about that, said his granddad, and as the wasp walked up the window pane, his granddad leant over and squashed it against the glass with his thumb. His granddad had these big, thick hands, like bunches of sausages. The hands with the skin was so thick and worn that the wasp couldn't have penetrated them, even if it wanted to. Oscar looked out at this young, fresh-faced car salesman. Don't worry about him, he said. Got his thumb and pushed it at the wasp, squashing it against the windscreen. But the wasp turned and stung him. <clears throat> said Oscar, try not to make it look as painful as it was. He put his thumb in his mouth and sucked the poison out like he'd seen the cowboys do to snake bites in the black and white films of his youth. Spat. I'll take it, he said. Oscar drove back round to Suffolk Street and tried to park outside number 75. As he pulled up, he heard the crunch of his brand new alloy wheels against the curbstone. He knocked on the door. The woman answered, Oh, it's you again, she said. I've come back for the address, he said. Here you go. And she handed it over. Good luck. He looked at the address. He knew the county indeed, but he didn't, hadn't heard of the town. And the county was the other end of the country. He looked there and said, Thank you. And just before she closed the door, he noticed there, on the wall, in pride of place, strategically positioned so as to be seen every time anyone entered or left in an expensive frame, was an embroidered donkey with uneven eyes. He went outside, put the address in the glove box, and before he pulled away, he noticed a convenience store in the corner. Before he started the engine, he opened the door and walked down to the convenience store, and he went inside, and he did something he'd never done before in his life. He bought a pack of cigarettes and a disposable lighter.